The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Good morning, good morning, happy new years. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing okay? You know, I found that you guys are much happier when you come back from a Christmas break. Everybody's smiling, you're happy. Well, I hope that this is going to be the best year you've ever had. My name is Matt. If you're new here this morning, I'm super glad that you're here. I'm one of our pastors, and we kick off a brand new series today called Reset, and January is the time of year whenever we uh, try to reset some things in our life physically, financially, uh, spiritually, and it's even a time of year when a lot of us begin to think about uh, resetting our lives vocationally. And so before we listen to conventional wisdom, uh, before we take in the wisdom that somebody else may say about your reset financially, spiritually, vocationally, um, and physically this year, I thought it would be good for us as a church if we just took a few weeks. By the way, if you're new here, we preach in series. We take four to six, sometimes eight weeks, and we will take a theme and an idea, a book, and we will... Uh, walk through that theme and that idea in that book. And so for the next four weeks, possibly five, depending on how far we go today, um, I want to take a chance just to reset. And I want to look at scripture. And I want to see what scripture would say to us if you are planning to reset yourself this year, physically, financially, spiritually, and vocationally is what we're going to look at today. Can we do that? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are a good God. Father, I thank you that you have brought us here this morning. God, I thank you for a new year. I thank you for a new start. I thank you for a new semester and a new season. And God, we acknowledge this morning, you're no less faithful today than you were two weeks ago. But God, I pray as we journey into a new year and a new season, God, we would reset our minds according to biblical principles, scriptural wisdom, and not conventional wisdom this year. So God, as we dive into the scriptures, I pray that you would reset our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen. Hey, so if you haven't said it already, uh, you may say it today. I don't know what your Christmas break has been like. I've been back for a week now. Some people take off two weeks. Some people take off a month. So I don't know if you've already said this or not. But at some point, if you took some time off over Christmas, you probably came back and you had to say the words, I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Anybody say that? Yep. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a pastor and I may or may not have said that as well. All right. I know a lot of us probably think that way, and this is kind of the time of the year when we have these thoughts like, uh, is what I'm doing, is, is it really worth what I'm putting into it? Like, is there purpose and meaning in what I am doing? Um, I, I've got, um, I guess you could call it eclectic musical taste. Uh, some of you are much more refined than I am, and, uh, but I was discipled in college by a guy who liked... Um, a, a, an old folksy singer named Tennessee Ernie Ford. And uh, I, I'm guessing most of you in here don't know Tennessee Ernie Ford, but you should get to know him, all right? One or two. The blessed of the crowd said amen. So Tennessee Ernie Ford did not write a song called 16 Tons, but he made it popular. He actually sold over 20 million records with the song 16 Tons. And I think it puts into words what a lot of us think about when we think of our jobs this time of year. Um, the, the song was written in view, the guy that wrote it was, uh, had in mind 
the coal workers and the miners in Kentucky in the mid um, 20th century. And this is what the song says. Not all of the song, it's just the first two lines. And uh, I think this puts into words how a lot of us feel today. Some people say a man is made out of mud, a poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. And then the chorus says, you load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper, okay, I won't sing, and deeper in depth. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. This is the second uh, line. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal and the store boss said, well, uh, bless my soul. <laughs> and then the chorus says again, you load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I don't know if anybody can identify with Tennessee Ernie Ford. How do you feel about your job today? Are you discouraged? Do you like what you're doing? Are you fulfilled? A recent article in Forbes magazine said that 52% of Americans are discouraged and do not like their job. In 2013, a Gallup poll found that 70% of Americans said they hated their stupid <laughs> jobs. Uh, this past summer, the U.S. Labor Department released statistics that said a record number of more than 94 million Americans have departed from the workforce. That's almost 38% of the American population, 16 and older, who's not in an institution or in the military, has departed from the workforce. Now, you're like, well, the unemployment rate says 4%. Well, the fact is, is that there are millions of Americans who have completely opted out of unemployment and they are no longer participating in the workforce. Research tells us, if you're a millennial this morning, that the millennials are the largest and most educated um, uh, generation in our country's history, yet the unemployment rate among millennials is three times higher than the general unemployment rate in America. The research tells us, and I think uh, millennials reflect the attitude of the broader uh, attitude in our country, that millennials would rather not make fries at McDonald's and pay their bills than do so and be in a job where they're unfulfilled. And I can identify with that. I think there are millions of Americans that are stressed, and they're stressed for one of two reasons. They're stressed because they're unemployed, or they're stressed because they are employed. Go figure. And somewhere in the middle, we're trying to figure out why is it that I'm so unfulfilled in my job? Well, thousands of years before Gallup ever released a poll and before uh, millennials were ever born, a guy by the name of Solomon, who was one of the wisest men who ever lived, I believe he penned words that put to, uh, put to words the thoughts that many of us think when we think about our jobs and our vocation and how we work and what we do for a living. Way before people started dropping out of the American 
job for us. The Bible pings the reason why many of us are unfulfilled in what we do. Now, if you've got a Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you go to Psalms in the middle of your Bible, go to Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 2 primarily this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screens. And also, if you come and you don't have a Bible at all, we would love to give you one at the Connect table after the service. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Now, I'm going to make my way down to verse 24 this morning, and I'm going to throw in a few other verses. So I'm going to do this kind of thematically this morning and kind of give you a holistic idea of of what God thinks about work and why many of us feel unfulfilled. And if I don't get all the way through it this morning, I may extend our series another week and really dive into the why and the motivation for us working, okay? Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 18. This is what Solomon said. By the way, Solomon has spent the first two chapters, and he's talking about um, the vanity of, 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 uh, of um, possessions. He's talking about the vanity of gaining knowledge and wisdom. And now in chapter 2, he's moving on, and he uses this idea of vanity in terms of work, okay? I think many of us can, can identify with Solomon. Here it goes. Verse 18, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And verse 19, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all of the fruit of my toil unto which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. And then Solomon uses this word. This is what he says. He says, this too is meaningless. Now, depending on what version of the Bible that you have, um, there's typically three words that are translated here for the Hebrew word chabel. The Hebrew word is chabel, and it's typically translated in whatever translation of the Bible you have as either meaningless, vanity, or futile. Um, Chabel is mentioned 36 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, but I don't think meaningless or vanity or even futile gives us the best understanding of how Solomon is describing work. I think the best way to describe the Hebrew word chabel is vapor or mist. It's used 36 times. Solomon says it over and over again. Now think about this. Why does Solomon put so much effort on this one Hebrew word, chabel? Meaningless, vanity, futile, but let's translate it, and it's correctly translated as vapor and mist as a noun this morning. Think about this. I don't know where you go to drink your coffee every day. Uh, I have several places that I like to go drink my coffee. There are a few places that heat my coffee extremely hot, and it's irritating to me. But when I sit down to drink my coffee, coffee at those places that heated extraordinarily hot. I will sit down with the mug in my hand, my back MacBook on the table, and I'm ready to work. And it's like 15 minutes before I can even drink my coffee. You know why? Because there's steam coming off of my coffee. Um, in, if, you, if you live in L.A., and there's probably some of you guys who are visiting this morning family here in our city, but oftentimes in our city when you wake up, there's this fog that covers our city. Like in the morning time, there will be a fog, but by like lunchtime, the fog lifts. Solomon says work is like that fog. Work is like the steam that comes off of your coffee. It's weightless is what he's saying. He's not saying it's meaningless, like, like, like don't go out today and like, oh, the pastor said quit my job because it has no meaning. That's not what I said. Solomon says it is weightless. It cannot hold you up. If the purpose of your life is embedded in what you do, Solomon says it has zero weight to sustain you. 
That's the word that Solomon is using. Tomorrow morning, if there's fog covering our city, I want you to remember, your job, Solomon says, is like the fog. When you drink coffee this week and steam comes off of it, I want you to remember, Solomon says, it's like the steam. You see it in a second and it's gone away. It has zero weight to sustain you and to uphold you and to get you through life. Now, so he says it's weightless, he says it's a mist, he says it's a vapor. You can't control it, so don't let it control you. Now this is what he says if you back up to Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11. This is what he says. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled or worked to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now you Go all the way down to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. Don't turn there. It's on the screen. I have seen something else under the sun, Solomon says. This is so good. The race is not to the swift. <laughs> this is good for our city. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. Listen to me this morning. Listen to me this morning. I'm not telling you to get up, not get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and hustle like you've never hustled before, but Solomon is saying to you, that's not it. You can hustle. You can spend time. You can spend money. You can learn what you need to learn about your job and what you are doing, but Solomon says it's not up to any of those things. It's up to time. It's up to chance. It's up to things that really are out of our control. He says, but time and chance happen to them all. It's time, vapor, mist, a chance. Solomon says, I've lived long enough to know. I've lived long enough to know that it's not satisfying. Just let me be practical. That's why when so many of us put our hope in our jobs, our training, our education, our classes, our learning, our networking, our goals, Solomon says when you get there, you will find that it is a mist, a vapor. I need to distinguish this morning. I'm not telling you that work is meaningless. You have to understand what he's saying. He's saying if this is the purpose of your life, if this is what you strive after, like if you make your life's purpose and goal wrapped up in your job, you're going to find out that it's a vapor, steam, fog. It's going to disappear. Some of us are working two and three jobs. <laughs> you get up early, you go to bed late, you're stressed out all day. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Next week, if we can get to it, I want you to understand that work is actually a moral virtue. And this is not the end of the story. In Ecclesiastes, God commends work. He asks us to work. He, he, uh, and there are good reasons to work. And I hope we'll get to it next week. That's why Solomon said this in, in, in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, I hated all the things I had worked for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Verse 20, so my heart began to despair over all of the work and labor under the sun. Verse 22, what do people get for all of their work and their anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? Verse 23, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is a vapor. Can I say to you, though, if this is the last word we have on work, then it's pretty detrimental to the American economy and probably to your health as well. Because Solomon's really not saying abandon work, abandon labor, quit your job tomorrow. 
Solomon is actually reminding us of misplaced priorities and purposes in our life. And he says, if you put all of your hope in that, you're going to realize it's not strong enough to hold you up. And you're going to keep working two and three jobs. You're going to keep going to bed late, waking up early and stressed all day long if that is your purpose. There's not enough weight in that purpose to hold you up. Solomon says again in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 24, this is the next word. That was the first word, and thankfully it's not the last word. This is the next word that Solomon says. Verse 24 in chapter 2, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink. Maybe today you just need to enjoy fellowship with a brother or sister and realize that that is a God-given thing in your life and find satisfaction, Solomon says, in your own work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So now it seems like Solomon is talking out of both sides of his mouth. He says work is meaningless, and now he's saying, I see that, that work is given, it's from the hand of God. This is why he says it. For without him... Without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Verse 26, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I want to say to you this morning that with the wrong motive with the wrong motive and purpose for why you do what you do vocationally, your work will ultimately seem wasted. If the money and, I mean, if the purpose and the motive is money, you need to understand that you can't keep it. <laughs> you can't protect it and there will never be enough. If your motive is authority, you're gonna abuse it. It will eventually turn itself on its head and, and, and project itself towards you. If your motive and purpose is significant, it's going to fade, it will not deliver, and it will never be enough. And if you ever get the significance that you truly want, I really believe with all of my heart, you will be one of the most miserable people on earth. If that's your purpose, if that's your motive. Let me just back up. It's not even in my notes, but I want to say it this morning. Some of you are working with the right motive. And you're working with the right purpose, yet there seems to be a dead end. I believe the scripture has a word for you this morning. And I hope to get to that, but, but just bear with me just for a moment. What are your motives in work? Because outside of Jesus, your work is a vapor, steam coming off your coffee, fog in the morning. It cannot hold you. It cannot sustain you. Our purposes will never materialize into a lasting hope if that is your motive. Now listen, let me say this to you. In Jesus, our work always has purpose. In Jesus, our work always has purpose. L let, me, let, me, let me say it another way. With Jesus in view, your work is never in vain. With Jesus in view and with the right perspective, your work is never in vain. After this weekend, I, I hope you will wake up tomorrow morning and you will go to your work in a new way and remind yourself that God gave you that job, as miserable as it may seem in the moment. Solomon says four times that God gave you that job. No matter how frustrating, God gave you that job. There's, there's some interesting words in the New Testament at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 
Verse 20, it says, each person should remain in the situation they were in when, called, when God called them. Verse 21, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although you can gain your freedom if you can do so. Verse 22, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. You're God's man or woman at work. If you're a believer this morning, you are God's man or woman. Verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 7, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings, brothers and sisters. Each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. That doesn't necessarily mean you're in a job that's a dead end and you got to stay there for the rest of your life. If your right purpose is the right motive and the right reason for why you are there, I believe there is great liberty and freedom vocationally for you. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You are, you're God's masterpiece at the job he's put you in. Martin Luther in, in, in um, 1521, hundreds of years ago, the great reformer, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes because God is concerned about good craftsmanship. A reset of purpose will change the way you work, no matter how menial. <laughs> my first job, I pumped gas. I was 16. My family owned the family business. I, I literally pumped gas. We had a full service station. We had a line that a car would cross. The bell would ring. I would jump up out of my chair and I would literally go pump gas. I would wash windows. I would check tires. I would check oil. That was my first job. My second job, I worked with juvenile detention center, delinquent juveniles. A third job, I was an intern in an accounting firm night and day. My fourth job, I worked with 40 second graders in an after school. Oh, excuse me. Um, 40 second graders in an after school program for two years, sometimes by myself. Help me, Rhonda. I waited tables. I traveled the country and spoke to churches and student ministries. I was a youth pastor for 14 years. Now I'm a guy planting a church in Los Angeles. Can I say to you that God never looked at the next job and said, that's way better than the job you came from. <laughs> In Jesus, they all have purpose. They all have meaning. And whatever the menial tasks are that you have, in Jesus, there is purpose for you. But that's how we evaluate our job. Like our current situation. Like I'm here. This is a stepping stone. There's somewhere else I'm going. There's a dream job out there if that's the purpose. Like if that's the way you're going and that's your mindset and that's what's driving you, you will find yourselves back at the words of Solomon. Vapor, mist, like the steam on the coffee, the fog in the air. It cannot hold you. If your perspective on employment is that someday there's a dream job and this is my holdover, every job will seem futile. Can I be personal with you for a moment? Early on in my ministry years, uh, I had a, a driving purpose and, and goal in mind. My driving purpose and goal in mind in the early years of ministry for me 
was simply to see what I could create, to see what I could accomplish. Everybody has different motives for why they do what they do. Some are money, some are significance, some are fame, some are relationships. My motive, and I don't want to pass it off as this is my wiring and how God created me because I take ownership of how I work in the world that God placed me. My motive was what can I accomplish? What can I create? Six months after landing, literally, if you could say, the dream job, I took on every responsibility I possibly could. You've heard me say this before. I carried my briefcase to every single meeting for six months in a row because I was going to prove myself. I can accomplish this and I can create this until our executive pastor looked me in the eyes and he said, Matt, (laughs) you're home now. You can leave the briefcase in your office. I was was driven by um, the things that I could accomplish in my own leadership capacity and abilities. A few months after I got the job, I went out to every football team in our city and I said, can I serve your team a pregame meal? (laughs) I ended up with five teams that said, yes, you can serve us a pregame meal and I was stuck. Like I didn't have a team yet, I just got there. So you know what I did? I went out every Friday morning and I bought hamburger buns and I bought hamburgers and I bought sides and I bought uh, drinks and, and, and then we had this big grill and I would cook literally over 500 hamburgers on Friday morning, rushing and killing myself to feed five football teams. My boss walked out one day on a Friday afternoon at 12 because that's when the office closed. He walked past me as I'm sweating and I'm literally flipping burgers and fl- flames are going everywhere. And he looked at me and he said, Matt, I didn't hire you to be a cook. (laughs) And I was just going to approve to everybody, I can create this. I can accomplish this. Guess what? I did. (laughs) I created and I accomplished. I created and I accomplished to the point where I could travel wherever I wanted to. I could speak wherever I wanted to. I made lots of money speaking on the road at speaking engagements because I created and I accomplished. I provided a very good living for my family. Can I tell you the aftermath of that? I'm about three years into this process now. And I'm working through it with a very good friend here in this church right now. And I've worked through it with several mentors in my life. But my entire world has branches that are connected to this false view of work. It influenced who I would talk to and who I wouldn't talk to. It influenced where I would go and where I would not go. It influenced the the speaking engagements I would take and the speaking engagements I would refuse. Can I tell you what it's done to me? I now recognize the idol in my life of significance Ultimately, if you drill it all the way down to the, to the very bottom of the barrel, the idol of significance um, finds itself in a place where I want to be a savior, where people are dependent on me. Can I tell you now that I realize the idols in my life and I'm trying to reset myself? This has been a three-year process. I'm trying to reset myself vocationally and put my eyes on Jesus so that every rhythm in my life is pure and my motivation is pure and whatever is accomplished is, is accomplished as an outwork and an outpouring of Jesus in me. Can I tell you what that reset has done to me? It's created a void. It's created a loss in my life. 
because this is all I ever knew, and this is the way I purposed and set myself to work vocationally. This was my goal. This was my dream. I can do it, and I don't care what anybody else says. Some of you are just like that in this city. And now that God has captured my heart and made me aware of my sin, there's a void in my life. And now I have days where I wonder, where I wonder as what I am doing, does it have purpose? Because I wrestle with my old motives and I wrestle with the new motives and somewhere there's a gap and there's a void in the middle. That's what a false view of work will do to you. That's what a false understanding of purpose in your vocation will create in your life. And I want to say to you, before you get old with kids who hate you and don't want to be around you, can you reset your life and ask the spirit of the living God to begin to change your heart? There's two frames. There's two frames that all of us can look at our vocation through. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you have one of two frames that you are going to look through. In the house that I was in in Atlanta, the house that we bought, it was a beautiful house, and the front doors were beautiful wooden doors, and, and the doors had leaded glass in the doors. And the leaded glass was beautiful from the outside. It was beautiful to look at. But the problem with a leaded glass window was you didn't know if it was the pizza boy at the front door or if it was somebody coming to rob you of everything you own. Like you could, you could tell like when the light shifted, there's something outside. You could tell maybe when somebody walked up, but you couldn't see with clarity through the window and you had no idea really what was on the other side. You can go to your job tomorrow and look through the frame of leaded glass, having no clarity, no understanding, no sense of purpose and meaning, you just can't see why you do what you do because your vision is clouded by a false motive. Or you can look through a frame with beautiful clear glass. <laughs> this is a friend of mine, Shannon. He's a social media manager. He lives in Dallas. This is his apartment in Dallas. Um, I'm a bit envious. <laughs> this, is the, this is the frame. These are the windows that I want in my next house, all right? By the way, if, if you need somebody to manage your social media, shameless plug, he's the guy to do it. He's really, really amazing. When you're looking through the frame of Jesus as your motivation... I believe the view can be one with great clarity. I believe there's purpose in your job when you work unto Jesus, with Jesus as your motivator. You're the one at the job that's not talking bad about the boss. It's not being overly critical, constantly and consistently. I believe, I really believe when Jesus is in view and he is the purpose. Can I say to you this morning, because some of you have the right motive. You have the right purpose and you are in a job that has been uh, dead in. It's been miserable for a long time. With Jesus in view, you're the person that can stay in that miserable situation for a, a period of time that's much longer than most people can because ultimately you understand this is not my purpose. 
I can stick around. I can stay here. I know that something else is coming because my purpose is right. And I believe there's great freedom and there's great liberty when you're looking through the right frame and you can see very clearly when Jesus is the motivator. Our problem is we put too much trust, too much identity in our jobs and in men, and ultimately what we're doing is we're watering weeds when we're expecting flowers to come up, and it just will never happen. I want to do something. The band's about to play. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head just for a moment, and I'm going to end for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul has been speaking of the resurrection. He has a view towards the end, if you will. He's reminding believers in Corinth that this is not it. Your trials, your troubles, your tribulations, your struggles. There is an alternative view, and if you look to the end, it will give purpose and meaning. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything in creation is a vapor. Everything's a mist. The company you work for, Congress, Hollywood, it's a vapor. It cannot sustain you. Paul says, if you are laboring in view of Jesus, then stand firm. Because everything here is simply a raw material for what's to come, and God is creating something ultimately beautiful in your life. And I say, by way of application, when you wake up tomorrow morning, maybe even before you go to bed tonight, would you thank God for your job? There's a lot of people in this room who are looking for jobs. They've recently moved to the city. They don't have a job. If you have a job this morning, maybe tonight before you go to bed, tomorrow morning when you wake up, maybe you voice a prayer to God, thank you, God, for my job. No ifs, ands, or buts. No, but God, would you... Begin to posture your heart in such a way that it's grateful for what God has brought you to. Secondly, and I'm gonna be done. Would you ask God to begin to concern your thoughts more about who you are in Jesus than what you do for a job? I realized this morning that for some of you, that may find a change of vocation that will reset your perspective. For some of you, that may mean that the job you are in that wasn't necessarily perfect and you always thought there was something else out there, maybe that means now, today, tomorrow, this week, you labor faithfully and effectively because you are God's man or woman there. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing one song and will be done. Jesus.